give a quick introduction of yourself, a couple of sentences, who you are, what you're doing. Yeah, um, my name is Alexandra or Alex. Um, I come from Austria and I'm very fascinated by chemistry, microbes and physics and generally more the tiny science of the world that we live in. Yeah. The tiny science. Yeah, I think it's interesting to understand that we normally navigate a world where everything is around like one meter, like the things that we normally see and handle, but there are actually other areas that are much smaller that are also like tiny universes that we could investigate and uh, that we could gather data on that we have not yet stepped foot in or as a human we will never step foot in but these things live as well and they wiggle around and they do things and i find it fascinating it started with microbes and most people that know me know that i like microbes and um, but in general <laughs> like also physics from tiny things are things i really enjoy doing yeah okay okay so how does passion for tiny things translate and tiny science translate to like what you're doing on professional side and academic side? So professionally and academically, I'm still a student. So I'm studying in Innsbruck and I'm studying stuff at the medical university and I'm studying stuff at the university, the Leopold Franz University, which is like the main university. Mm -hmm. And I'm doing things that relate a lot to the field of molecular medicine. So like understanding mm -hmm. how the molecules in our body do things to make us as a whole human function in the right and healthy way and also relate very much to drug development. So how do molecules interact with things in our body to make mm -hmm. things that are broken healthy again? <laughs> yeah. Mm. So how can uh, one imagine that? So maybe some people will be familiar with like gene research, genome research. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like, exactly. Is that so, like, what you're doing? So molecular medicine in Innsbruck, at least, it's taught together with the human medicine people. So, mm -hmm. for example, we also study all the things that are related to anatomy and like heart diseases and other things like genetic diseases. And what we don't have is so much contact with patients. We do have more contact with laboratories and we study things on the molecular scale in vitro, which means like in a test tube. So we take mm -hmm. things or we extract things from a living cell or living organism or a patient sample, and we apply different conditions to understand how we could understand the process better or how we could navigate the process in a better way. And regarding drug development, drug development is taking a disease from a patient and then first understanding how it works or what is malfunctioning. And often it is kind of a protein and in our body proteins are often seen from the athletic side like proteins build our muscles but mm -hmm. there are many more proteins and proteins are kind of the worker things in our cells each protein has a specific role and its specific role of a protein is related to a specific function and if we understand the protein's shape and its function well then we can try to design a molecule that interacts with the protein that mm -hmm. is malfunctioning mm -hmm. to kind of give it the correct function or shape or, for example, also location in a cell bag. And then drug development, of course, is not only about molecular design, but mm -hmm. also about the whole legislative area. For example, Europe is different than the US, and it takes a lot of time to go from testing different molecules for human disease in the lab to really bringing something in a package to the patient or on the market. This is a whole mm -hmm. process from science towards economics and, yeah, also politics in the end sometimes. Okay. So to make it a bit more concrete, which disease or which drugs are you looking at? I'm personally a student. And as a student okay. at university, you are not part of a research team in general. Mm -hmm. You are part of research teams during courses. 
Um, mm -hmm. But at the moment, I'm not studying one disease myself. Mm -hmm. um, in molecular medicine, we study mainly oncology stuff and neural disorders like an immuno immunology, which means like the disease which are from microbes and viruses to us. Um, mm -hmm. But I'm still a student. I have no mm -hmm. research group of my own yet, and I'm very young, and I still have a lot to learn. And I yeah. think it's also keeps me going every day. I, I really like learning new things, and I'm not sure if I ever want to not be a student because it's just so cool to do things <laughs> that are different every day. Yeah. Maybe, maybe it was a little hasty of me, but I always had the feeling then when I saw like your updates online and the the general the, the things that we were interested in mm -hmm. that I and also how. I met you and like the things that I know about you that I immediately jumped to the conclusion that you probably not restrict yourself to uh, just like listening and, and absorbing, but also like jumping into the action. But I totally get That's it. That's true. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's true. Like besides studying, like besides being a student, I work on projects, but the projects <laughs> change in general. And also some of the projects that I'm currently working with, I am not allowed to talk much, too much mm. about. And we also don't know if the things work out. And also I'm one of these people, like when I'm doing something and it's not yet finished, I actually really hate talking too much about it because I fear it's not going to work out in the end. You know, like, uh, like as soon as you say too much about something, I don't know. I feel like I might fail myself or like the whole thing in the end. Um, so yeah, um, but that's mm. actually why I like physics so much because when you work on stuff that's not in a laboratory, you can use a computer if you know how molecules work and how physics works and how programming works to run experiments like on your laptop to simulate molecules on your laptop without needing the whole lab equipment, which makes it very convenient for students like me to run things at home and not in our own lab. Ah, I always wondered how those simulations work and under which restrictions. Could you give a mm -hmm. little bit of insight? Really depends. I think especially quantum computing has had a really big hype in the last years. Mm -hmm. um, we see like a lot of people being like, yeah, they are fast and they will break cryptography and everything else. Um, it depends. So the algorithms that we have at the moment need to be figured out. We need really smart people coming up with really cool ideas how to apply quantum mechanics to solving really important problems for us. And for example, what we would like in drug development is that we have a calculation to calculate all the molecular properties of a protein or to calculate mm -hmm. a molecular shape. The thing if, for example, as of calculating a molecular shape was very well done with AlphaFold. Like AlphaFold is pretty good actually on predicting a molecular shape just from the code that you give it because in our cells it works that way we have genetic code which is then mm -hmm. translated into kind of a more weakly thing which is the rna and the mm -hmm. rna is then translated into the protein shape mm -hmm. and depending on the letters that follow each other in the dna like in our genetic code the shape of the protein is a specific shape mm -hmm. and it was actually a very hard problem for biologists to like just look at code and predict anything from for the protein. Mm -hmm. And now with AlphaFold, it's actually much better. But in the end, it's still machine learning. So we cannot rely 100% that the model that we get out is perfect. So we yeah. also need to, for example, go to beam lines in France or in the UK and make very, very tiny protein crystals that are quite pure and then shoot high energy X-rays on, on top of them. And then from shooting X-rays on crystals that are made from protein, like crystals from proteins is something that I absolutely find fascinating. We get the fraction patterns because the, the proteins with a specific shape, they can make crystals, they can form crystals. So crystals can be organic, not only inorganic. And from the scattering pattern, we can calculate back how one molecule in this whole crystal looks like 
Well, it gets very tricky. Um, I've worked with one of these facilities and I've worked on a protein that was called Love 2. And I absolutely loved working with Love 2 because it's a protein that actually comes from plants and it's a photo switch. So when blue light hits it, it kind of starts a cascade, so it changes shape. And with changing mm-hmm. sh- shape, it changes things in the plant cell. But nobody knows exactly how it does, like, the change in state and the change in the plant growth. Um, so, yeah, this is cool. Um, it's really cool to, like, look at how tiny, tiny things live and change because it's actually really hard. It's, like, really hard and we don't have a good microscope for it. And also, we have not the best model at the moment. So, back to your question about how we model things. Um, well, <laughs> sorry, <thing's> I, just- <laughs> <laughs> I, I really love how energized you are and how much... How you energize me when you start talking about those things because it's so obvious how passionate you are about. I think I think chemistry is like one thing about chemistry that you learn quite easy, like early on or should learn early on is like chemistry is about energy, like minimizing energy for reaction and like maximizing energy on cool things in your life because chemistry is awesome. <laughs> so I think the energy comes from chemistry that works well in general. So yeah, okay, sorry. Uh, so we, we're gonna yeah. have unfortunately we're gonna have to take a quick technical break because your microphone is yeah. a little too loud. And we're back. So yeah. the the interesting thing is, and that's something I hear very seldom, even when listening to like public, like science communicators or people in the public, like prestigious scientists, is that people think so connectively about physics, chemistry, and biology, and kind of seem to be in all of the fields at the same time and look through all of those three lenses at the same time. I think it's a lot of fun to do that, yes. Um it I mean if you want to get us to be very good at like one specific thing, you like need to get like calculations down in like one specific field to like the granular level as best as you can. I'm yeah. I'm not in a position yet where I need to like focus on a PhD and need only to go in one direction like very deeply to understand everything. Um so I still have to I can still use my passion to like cover different areas and kind of get the interdisciplinary understanding for processes or systems, which is very fun. Mm-hmm. Um, I do also feel that in general, most topics get interesting the more you look into them. And also the more you look into one topic, then you know more you'll see that it will branch off into different directions. And I feel it's mm-hmm. probably not only science, but also people, for example, in economics, they will probably as well look into politics or history or whatever, because they yeah. will see that like it's not when I'm, it's not an island, right? We are all not island people. Not I don't think only something for myself and only read one book and then it's mm-hmm. done. But everything is connected to different things. Um. So yeah. Uh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And it only shows that you are looking at it from like a more advanced level than just like being within your own camp, whatever that would be. Yeah. And like usually it's like the camp people start in, right? Like people who start off with chemistry kind of feel themselves as chemists and people who start from physics see themselves as physicists. I feel the biggest, yeah. yeah. I feel like the biggest divide is always between experimental people and theory people. Like there's always like, I'm more of an experimentalist person and then people are like, I like the theory better and like working out formulas. This is like the biggest uh, difference between people, I feel. And I feel that biologists and chemists are often more on the experimental side and mm-hmm. they're like f- people in physics that are very like, I like theoretical physics and nothing is going to get me from this path. And both are very important. Like we need all of them. And the more I do theoretical stuff, the more I like it. I started doing more chemistry in the laboratory. So I started doing more experimental stuff and then mm-hmm. going on with coding and working on models. The more I had to mm-hmm. develop my mathematical skills as well. 
Um, so the more you get into mathematics, the cooler it also gets. <laughs> and yeah. Ah, okay. And where would you like? You said you started out on the practice side. Like now you're going more into the theoretical. Where do you self as yourself spending the most time right now? It's like evenly um, distributed. At the or... moment, I would say it's quite evenly distributed between. Like I'm not the person that does molecular models or something or like gets mm. new, like I, I don't put up new formulas at the moment because I don't feel skilled enough to do that in the right way. And mm. um, I need to learn much more for that. And um, because I don't want anybody building on my shitty formulas in the future, just because I didn't study hard enough the foundations <laughs> at the beginning. <laughs> this is something I'm very afraid of. Like putting out bad science is something I'm very, very afraid of. And um, so the things I'm working with for the project to the companies I'm working with, I'm applying theoretical models to model something else, for example, or using quantum algorithms, refining them, something like that. So this is more theoretical. This is more thinking what you do and then kind of implementing it, for example, in code. And then, of course, lab courses and doing fun things that are related to putting hands onto chemicals, mixing them together mm -hmm. and trying out how they react and working with cell lines and working with the microscope. This is experimental, yeah. Okay, okay, I see. Um, I also feel I'm better on the experimental side, but okay. the theoretical part is harder for me, and hard mm -hmm. things tend to kind of grip my attention a lot because I feel like I'm uh... too bad with this, so I need to get like step up on it, you know. Um, yeah, so I need to get furious for right as well, like very well, right. <laughs> That sounds like a winning mindset, though, in a world where so many people tend to lean towards what they're already comfortable with. If you actually are like a person that uh, allows themselves to go really hard into things they know are necessary or advantageous, but don't come as easily to you, like that's that sounds dangerous. <laughs> I feel I am also not sure about that because there are people. And they're probably correct that say that if you are talented in one thing and you like it as well, then you should definitely mm -hmm. do this thing because you will be very good at it. Yeah. And I just feel that just because I am good at something and I like it does not necessarily give me the automatically the right to do the thing correctly. Like it, um, it might be easy for me to kind of work with chemicals or like work with chemical yeah. structures, but I still need to be very cautious then that if I'm good in the beginning, that I don't get to like lose track during my path on this field. And this is what I said in the beginning, like I'm afraid of bad science. And therefore I feel like as soon as I see that I'm very bad in one thing, it kind of scares me that it will fail my whole other things as well if I don't get this understanding correct as well that I really try to also get it right in some way. So, for example, like working with quantum computing stuff is hard. And if you get into it, like some things that are, all the things related to molecules are more easy for me because I know how molecules work and I kind of get an mm -hmm. intuition for them. But the other algorithms that are more optimizational stuff that is not so much related to optimizing molecules, for example, or like cryptographic algorithms, this is something that I have no intention, like, intention for to do much in my life mm -hmm. therefore it's harder for me and i could just say i'm not going to look at it but it might actually be very beneficial for me to look at exactly that because these are the things i misunderstand 
at the moment. Um, and if I take this misunderstanding with me the whole path and just neglect that I actually have this misunderstanding, it might be terrible for what comes out from my work for other people in the future. So it would lead to bad science if I misunderstand things by neglecting that I am not so good at them, therefore I don't have to do them. Okay, so few questions about that. When you say bad science, how do you define that? Science that is led from wrong conclusions or so, assumptions. Okay, so basically, okay. So when, when people think about science, a lot of people think about experiments or at least like you come up with an hypothesis that mm -hmm. is falsifiable and then you design mm -hmm. A way around mm -hmm. yes. testing this hypothesis. Yes. So when would it be, or what would lead to bad science? I feel if you, for example, typical statistical error, you do too many tests and do not account for testing, multiple testing. Mm -hmm. This mm -hmm. is typical error. And um, the other thing is that personally, if I like something or if I want something to be in a certain way, I really want it to be that certain way. <laughs> and <laughs> I, am, I am not an unbiased person, you know, like no scientist is unbiased yeah. in his or her approach. And statistics, like clinical trials, like we start with small people and then we scale up to like thousands of people and then we make hard studies on them and we really test a lot of things and we look for confounding variables. But still in the end, sometimes, for example, with COVID vaccines, we have good, really good statisticians working on these things. And this thing is sound, the whole model is sound. But in the end, you always have people who don't fit exactly the trial theme or you have discussions like, is it okay to actually give people placebo anymore if we have another choice? Is it ethical to give people placebo and compare to a placebo? Or mm -hmm. do you have to compare against the current gold standard? And then you are looking at very small differences. And the smaller difference, the harder it is to get like the correct size of like a small difference right and especially working with tiny differences or tiny organisms whatever you cannot always look at them so mm -hmm. if you look at the bacterium under the microscope you see it but if you look at the, an atom under the microscope you don't see it so every information you try to extract from an atom or a molecule you need to know your methods and you need to know how to use the methods or you need to know how to use the formulas in the right way that you put in the right numbers in the right places to get that actually the answer you need. It's, I feel like it's like coding, like your computer code is going to work anyways. Like sometimes it will throw errors and sometimes it will e even give you outputs. But sometimes if you don't cross-check your outputs, these outputs can be shitty because th what the computer is doing and what you want it to do is not the same thing. And I feel for science is the same thing as well. Like even in the laboratory, if you do your blood things, your Western blots or whatever, um, there's a lot of things that often go wrong. And the error that leads to bad science is that things look good, but you interpret them in the wrong way or you actually set up the experiment in the wrong way and use the method in the wrong way and i think for me bad science is using methods in the wrong way or using statistical methods in the end to interpret results in the wrong way because i don't know enough about the method in the beginning because i didn't learn it because i thought oh this thing is easy for me so therefore i can just do it and it will be fine Does this make sense? Huh. Or should I try yeah, to rephrase it? This makes it? a lot of sense. And actually, okay. the, the metaphor that you used with, like, for anyone who ever wrote code or even used um, some application, that the situation arises that you get an output and you trust the output. 
And then sometimes it turns out to be false. It turns out that your trust was just not uh, warranted in a sense that it was an error somewhere, but you got an output and you might run with it or not. Or sometimes you get an output and you're not satisfied with it. And then you know, okay, there must be an error somewhere. Um, but uh, it's tricky, yeah, because it, it takes reflection. It takes caution. It takes skepticism about your own abilities and your own work. Yeah, I completely so, agree. So, okay, so, uh, and that kind of like ties into like what, what you said that for you, given that you really enjoy experiments and that's like something like kind of more like what you started with and now you're trying really to push into the theoretical side so you don't make wrong assumptions, so you don't exactly. use So don't set up wrong experiments. Yes. Mm. Yes, exactly. So I had the luck to work with a lot of chemicals and like for lots of experiments in the beginning. I also started doing like, for example, quantum computing when the field was still very small and there was not so mm. much theory like available uh, or like code available. And the field has grown a lot since, like especially quantum computing, it has grown a lot and a lot of people have put research into it. And like reading up on the papers and like catching up with all the free that comes out is hard and it's not easy. <laughs> and also if you are not a math student, like, um, then it sometimes <laughs> like it's, it's, it's not the easiest thing to learn. Um, but it is cool if you do it. Like the more I do it, the more it gives me the sense of like kind of calmness that like, yeah, I, I see, like I see the, thing and I know what it means and the math professor at my university once said like math is a like the whole field of maths is like a field of visualization like math is like writing things down in formulas until you see the thing that it actually means and like some people can write down a whole formula and it's obvious for them what it means and some people need more steps towards the result um in other words one people can write down a very complex formula and say, okay, we will just solve for X and X will mean this for us. And other people really need to solve for X to get a specific value for X to see that X really equals this thing. Some people see X equals this thing in the whole big formula and other people see X only when they see X equals three. And this is the visualization problem that my math professor talks about. Like math is about visualization. It's about like visualizing what the thing stands for in this world. And this is something that changed my mind about math completely because I was not the formula person in the beginning. I really was not the theory person in the beginning. But math is about writing down things in a very comprehensive way until you really get to the point where you can say, okay, now I have the line that speaks to me. Now I know what this line or this mathematical stuff here means. Um, yeah. Sometimes it has to be very obvious and sometimes the more you learn about it, then you can work with more complex things and it can get more complex and it's still obvious to you what the complex things mean. But you have to start with non-complex things, work out the complex things and get more of the visualization correct. <laughs> yeah. That's so cool. I never looked at math that way. Yeah, me neither before. He said like math is a visualization form. Yeah. <laughs> That's really something to wrap my head around. It makes it so much more intriguing. So I, so I have not much of an idea of math, uh, because so far I just, at, I guess to some degree, because I didn't need to know and to some degree, because I worked around it in a lot of other cases, but I acknowledge that knowing math would make 
life a little bit more interesting and also applications easier. Mm-hmm. So especially like from my side, I'm really interested in the whole explainable AI, human-centered AI space and a lot, especially like my initial interest was about how to make people understand which model, uh, which method brings um, what disadvantage and advantage with it. And it comes to exactly what you said, like on the application side, people feel very comfortable and they get that output and they run with it because it looks great. But on the other hand, if you actually think about what happened in the backend, um, what algorithms are based on, what's the mathematical basis, is based on, especially on the application side, people just don't have any idea what they're doing. And uh, that was really interesting to me to make that more, make that kind of like less abstract, I guess, or abstracted in like a, in a visualization way, uh, but uh, to actually understand the underlying mathematics uh, would make things so much easier. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and that's really cool. Like visualizing, it's, it's an art of visualization. I feel like, for example, Free Blue Ron Brown on YouTube does an yeah. amazing job on like visualizing yeah. math in a good way. Um, yeah. But still, like there's even a much more fundamental level to it. Like sometimes you just have to read the damn textbooks. Like sometimes you just have to really read like the damn math papers. And sometimes things are not easy. Like math is not always easy. <laughs> and for me, it wasn't. Like for me, math is one of the hardest things actually to understand and to get right. Um, yeah. But it's very necessary. Like it is the most fulfilling thing if you have stared down on like a piece of paper or like on problem sets and then at some point you solve them but i really see that like i'm really good with chemistry like chemistry is easy for me to grasp or much easier for me to grasp but math is really like slow 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 slow, and at some point it kind of spikes but (laughs) how people like understand things before me and it's like this thing like i'm like a really long snail like math is like the hard thing like getting the math correctly for the thing is like much harder than learning how to apply it like applying math is okay normally it works but like understanding the formulas and then putting formulas new together and like ah, it's it's not that easy but i feel especially for ai like i'm not the best ai person there are much better people out there than me with ai but ai has also works with so many parameters that it's sometimes really hard to like kind of put it down into like one framework because in the end what what for example neural network does is you could actually defined as like a very high parameter function yeah you put something in and it puts something out and there's not one way of really writing this function down in like probably there is but you cannot really say f from x and then you will kind of calculate it because the neural network that's why you put up the neural network because your input is so complex yeah. you need the whole neural network as a function itself to give you the correct output and it would be very nice if you would kind of boil this whole network down into like one mathematical formula and it would just spit out the end. Like, like for like a simple calculation or something you yeah. could understand much easier. But it's again, the thing like it's about visualization, like making things more comprehensive because in the end, like really good math on a neural network would be like we take the neural network and we boil it down so much that we in the end have like something very easy. And this very easy thing should be the math in the end. This should be like what we actually have as math. And this is what my professor think told me. Like we start with complex things and math is about understanding and comprehending them and condensing them until we get to the essence. And I feel like the neural networks are going the exactly opposite directions. We try to include more and more variables and try to work with more and more variables. And that's why we grow these networks and like make them bigger. Um, yeah. So it's, 
I think very hard to make networks explainable because there's so many parameters and also we don't even understand all the parameters and what parameter kind of looks for when they look at the input and yeah but a lot of I mean like generally neural networks have been developed by cool mathematicians and they are built on math so they are trained by math there everything is built on like maths so yeah. it's not that there's not maths behind it it's only maths but it's just a very complex model yeah so um, what, what did you stand of making it like to boiling it down making it simpler that would like if you start with a very complex neural network and you try to boil it down they would also in the it would somehow change the nature of it, right? Like you, like obviously the boiling down is under the assumption that input would still result in the same output, mm -hmm. but more that what changes is the efficiency in the end. Yeah. Yeah. Or so the I, accuracy depends. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, but I feel the fascinating thing about science is that we start with a very mundane task or question normally. Then it blows up into something extremely complex, and then it boils down to a very nice and easy thing in the end again. Can you give an example? We have to yes. So, for example, like when we start looking at an object, we see the object, like one object, and we ask, what is it made of? And then we kind of get into this whole world of chemistry, like this abundance and variation of molecules. And then in the end, it boils down to about 80 elements that are used by nature to create things, like normal elements that are stable. So 80 like building blocks is not that hard for like building all the variation of molecules that are around us. And then the whole thing that we see as a human is like an object. It's made of many, many different molecules. And there's these molecules are made by very simple, like very simple building blocks. Or for example, when we look at a disease, like from the outside, we see this person is sick, which is a very easy thing. And then we look down to the cellular level and we see so many proteins and all of these proteins interact and they signal to each other. And if one protein is broken, probably a ton of other proteins are involved as well. But then if we give the right medication at exactly one location, like one point in the pathway, we can restore function again. So it's sick to a whole jungle of network stuff going on in a cell and then interjecting mm -hmm. at the exactly right one location we can make the whole thing work again. And it, it of course, not always works. It, it's, it's, if the whole network is broken, then you need much more than just one point to fix it. Um, mm. But, and also like social dynamics is something very complex. You cannot always boil them down to like one formula or whatever. I feel humans are generally very complex. But it, mm -hmm. I think like really good science, what science does is we look at the night sky, we see planets moving, we ask ourselves how the planet's moving. We cannot figure it out. So many parameters evolve, whatever. But then still we have the law of gravitation. And we know, oh, yeah, with Newton's laws, we can get to a really nice assumption, like to some proximity with, within the right like range of answer. And then if we apply Einstein and stuff like that. But the formulas, the really cool formulas that change things are most often not the most complex things. Mm -hmm. But these things that make interesting questions be expressed in a simple way. And this is beautiful. This is a really beautiful science. That, I hope that's this makes also sense. very beautifully said. Yes. Okay. No. Okay. Uh, don't worry about. It. I mean, I'm sure. So I know that I will re-listen this podcast uh, again and again because it's just like in information density. You know, it's just oh. a lot of new things to to, to take in. Uh, but it's really really cool. Uh, I love it. 
so far. I really do. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay. Th- there's... I, I always <laughs> fear that like sometimes because I myself, like as I said, I'm only a student and it could also be that, for example, my view on how science should work or shouldn't work or how beautiful science is or not beautiful it is can still be very biased. Like I have my view on it from my personal experiences and it's probably not that every scientist thinks the way I do or every person who likes chemistry thinks the way that yeah. I do. So I also feel that this is a personal view and I think every podcast is a personal view yeah. and science needs a lot of cool people in general to work together to express their views. And I yeah. also feel that sometimes in science, views are not expressed at the right location or like people don't listen to scientists sometimes. I feel, I don't know, people like standing in the lab, but then the, the people who like standing in the lab sometimes don't like talking or presenting that much. <laughs> and then results are presented by people who like talking more but they don't get the science as nicely as the people who actually did the science um and this can lead to miscommunication of science or misinterpretation by the public i feel sometimes maybe yeah uh, that's that's certainly a problem uh it also makes a lot of sense that this problem exists because given that you can only be good at so many things and be great at even less things if you would assign points to all of your skills, the person who assigns the most skills to more actual, practical, mm-hmm. science-relevant topics will have less points on the communication mm-hmm. side. Uh, so, But I don't feel it has uh, to be that way. I just feel mm-hmm. like we have to encourage the people with the right environment. I don't mm-hmm. feel like, uh, probably it's wrong because many people told me, but I feel that People are not born with bare talent for one thing and then they just do this thing the best and they should only do this thing. I do feel that most people, if given the opportunity in the right environment, are capable of learning almost everything if they're not discouraged or if they're not in fear of the outcome and if their curiosity is kind of like sparkles and kind of can grow and then they develop into a healthy adult. Um, what I, however, feel is like sometimes as, it's like with studying as a student, you sometimes have people studying like very, very long beforehand of tests or exams. And yeah, when university comes and also in school, like some tests are very important and you need to study a lot for them. But it's not always that if you study longer, you will get better results. There's like a maximum efficiency point, like yeah. there's like learning nothing and then like maximum. Exactly. And therefore, I also feel like like sometimes combining skills, like, for example, learning how to I don't know, lead a conversation and learning how to do good science, they do not necessarily exclude each other. I also, for example, I personally go to church because my family is from a rural side in Austria and we sometimes go to church. I, however, am not baptized and I don't belong to any religion, but still it doesn't necessarily include itself that I like science and I feel that church, for example, or religions can give people or cultures a nice community feeling and like Mm -hmm. helping together. And I often feel that like things that seem like ambiguous or like not can actually kind of come together and not be as bivalent, but like actually kind of mm-hmm. kind of very well be in synergy if done correctly. And if we believe that things can be in synergy um, and not believe that things always have to be contradictory. I totally agree. And especially what you said about talents, that mm-hmm. uh, we shouldn't give too much attention or especially determinism to mm-hmm. what where people show talent in their young age mm-hmm. is great and there's certainly a lot to be said about strengthening strengths 
uh, and not just trying to bring all the weaknesses on a base level uh, mm -hmm. or a low level. Um, however, like my reference to like putting points into certain skills was less about a scientist shouldn't focus on communicating and presenting mm -hmm. and sharing stuff online and whatever. It's more like time, right? You have to, like time is a limiting factor when it comes yeah. to getting skills, uh, obtaining skills. So um, I, I know that uh, in the past I used to be much more judgmental at some point also about scientists, uh, why there are so few great communicators, why they don't, what I just said, like at some point they would could create so much more change in the outside world uh, by spending a few hours on communication and mm -hmm. that will only make those few hours will only make like a small difference when it comes to actually publishing more or pushing more forward like the the law of diminishing returns so mm -hmm. um what is that so the at some point you just get less and less and less per hour than you did before mm -hmm. so uh but then there's also like personal preference right uh so if you just feel much more comfortable or just see much more value just personally in pushing the work forward just like professors running teams running labs doing experiments and less on sharing things on um any platform be it social media be it writing articles being it, uh being uh open to be interviewed or share things on your blog or like uh you probably know Andrew Huberman um mm -hmm. the science communicator or uh Michio Kaku the one of the string theory, like one of the biggest yeah. science communicators in the world. Like they are amazing. They're great. I wish there would be champions of their fields for every field that have such a huge audience and focus so much on building such a huge audience because it would make it so much easier, first of all, to democratize science. Because mm -hmm. so right now, you, a lot depends on the education system that is around you where you're born or where you have access to. Uh, and also on just making people aware, um, like the more you have of something, especially if it's high quality and like really tailored to people who don't, are not within the science bubble, um, that can just have such a huge yeah. impact on people's lives. I just, so on, I, I agree. completely agree. I just feel like science is, it gets cooler the more you do it yourself. And... <laughs> This is hard to communicate. And there are two things I want to say. I feel on one hand in science, it's a lot about publication. So you already spend a lot of your time like trying to write down things or like express things in a very coherent and very precise way, often to be rejected. <laughs> and yeah. this does not make it easy for scientists to always put themselves out there because already in their profession, they really try to make their things correct and right. And even yeah. people who are in the field kind of don't listen to them, <laughs> which I find sometimes, I mean, that's science. Like you need to really be like good at what you do, but sometimes it's also kind of bullshit what's going on in like the publication industry, to be honest. Um, but on the other hand, there's also like the public and I understand that not everybody is interested in which protein is kind of doing what thing in a specific type of cell. 
I think it's fascinating because I I have kind of a personal relationship to the molecule. Like if I work <laughs> with it in the lab, then I know like this is the molecule. This is how it looks like. This is when it's made. This is how it kind of dies, and this is how it like digested. And, uh, this is how it's trafficked and stuff. And it gets like the the thing about things is like as soon as they get a personal character for me, I love these things. Like they are like kind of animals or whatever. I don't know. Like like this also for bacteria. They they can be like can lead to very nasty infections but as soon as you look at a bacterium from like a nice side and be like bacterium what can you do in a nice way then it gets so much cooler to work with it and also your brain like grabs to stories and like grabs to things that actually have like kind of a character and science has a character also like for math for example like a formula can have a character if you understand it um, but it's hard to kind of put this character down in like a 15 second video you will never know a person by knowing their online feed Therefore, you also probably won't know science as well by only mm. listening to science communicators. You also will yeah. not learn how to program by only like watching programming videos on YouTube. Yeah. That's not how it works. Um, and therefore, I feel people in the lab are often actually very good communicators. Um, when mm. I talk to scientists, I feel like many of them are extremely good at expressing what they're doing and explaining it. But I just don't feel that, and also I'm not sure about if they should put it out to just any audience without knowing whom they actually talk to because the right science needs to meet the right people to be communicated in an effective way and otherwise bullshit can come out because we saw that so many people during covid put out kind of their opinion on science because they thought they had some facts and interpreted the facts incorrectly and then they had like an opinion that was scientific and this was the correct science and they i just talked recently to a science communicator at cern and CERN is a very big particle physics thing in Geneva. And he said a very interesting thing that, and there are also studies that show that if people have some kind of a half knowledge or like ground knowledge of something, they feel more entitled to expressing their view or opinion on something in an extremer way. And therefore, I feel like educating the public on science has to be done in a careful way. So to make people still sensible to re-evaluating their own ideas instead of giving them kind of the feeling that they are good in science and therefore all of the science that they get they will be mm. perfectly interpreting in the correct way because then mm. as soon as any science hit them they will be like yeah this is right this is wrong I'm the best I know science and this is me um, so science communication is hard and getting the right scientists with the right ideas to be heard by people <laughs> and then society following these guidelines or the science it's it's hard It's I don't know how to do it correctly I really don't um, yeah. I guess it's uh, another one of those things where there won't be one answer. There will exactly. just be a, a lot of people trying mm -hmm. and some of it will work out and some of it will backfire. But generally, I feel like there is a... It's worth encouraging the thought mm -hmm. uh, of people to try to communicate. And as you said, that was actually maybe what I said before wasn't nuanced enough. There are different ways of communication. Obviously, producing peer-reviewed papers, publications, is kind of like the core of the work in a way which communicates to, like the, the whole game of science now is structured mm -hmm. around this idea of sharing mm -hmm. so and communicating, which is great. That's, a, that's an amazing basis that mm -hmm. doesn't exist that long. So this is amazing that there is this global effort to do that. Um, and then there's this level of maybe communicating it to related fields 
people that don't read the same journals and don't go mm -hmm. to the same conferences. Uh, and then I guess you can abstract it and abstract it or more and more and more um, yeah. until you are at like a super democratized yeah. platform and audience. But uh, as you correctly said, <laughs> I just see it uh, even in super practical science, like for example, Andrew Eberman, biggest... I guess in terms of like listeners, biggest yeah. quote unquote science communicator in the world, uh, does a lot of biohacking, does a lot of just understanding your own body and yeah. brain chemistry and for everyone who, who hasn't heard of him. And uh, he tries to boil it down to the application, like how is it relevant for an average person's day-to-day -day life. And even there, there is this cherry picking or there is this where, where people go in very dogmatic and just pick this one thing and then build their version of truth around it. Where yeah. just like take a five minute uh, clip out of a 45 minute episode yeah. and then just kind of like put their own story around it. And in this case, it's like very obvious, right? Because if you listen to the whole piece of content that he published, you will know that someone imputed that that someone did something mm -hmm. bad to this piece of content uh but obviously in a lot of cases it's it's not especially when it's more theoretical content it's not that easy for someone from the outside uh to yeah. to judge that as wrong dangerous uh what, what however you want to label it and to what degree so i totally agree it's uh communication is tough <laughs> yeah Two things here to add. The first thing is regarding science communication. I think the correct way to do science communication is to enable people to do science and to find their personal spark. Like for me, like sometimes like there were certain lab projects that I could do when I was younger where I felt like, yeah, this is cool. I understand what's going on here and I can see what's going on here. And this is why I like science because I can do it. And um, I feel also for people who pick up code and then their first project that they set themselves a goal, then the program suddenly works. So their first app they built, it works. This is amazing. And then they kind of like it and then they can kind of, they're also more open to communication in this field. The second thing is regarding, for example, Andrew Huberman. Um, I have not listened to many of his podcasts, to be very honest, but I feel um, it, it, it gets maybe difficult also for physicians at this point that if people have listened, for example, to this podcast and it's like mm. also boiled down by one person in the end um, to give a diagnosis to somebody who has listened very well to the podcast and be like, um, and then the person, the patient may be like, no, this cannot be true. Like, I, I don't have this problem. I just need, I don't know, more movement or whatever. Mm. And it's not always correct for all people. Like generally, mm. yes, there are certain trends that are right for everybody, but also like each person still is different. And medical diagnosis should not be done via podcast. <laughs> and also, um, in general, like there are people who are professionals and they should try to communicate their field. But still, if you look for advice, you should not always go to communicate with really the professionals in the end. Um, yeah. yeah, because for example, with Google, it's the same thing. Like people self-diagnose themselves and then <laughs> when they come to a doctor, doctor, they don't want, 
Yeah. And then, I mean, like, I, I'm studying things like related to medicine and we still study using like online resources, of course. Like we look things up, but we are students. We are not diagnosed. And it's not bad to use online resources, but as a patient who has like no ground knowledge to like use it and then be like, I have this diagnosis and therefore you need to give me this medicine. Please trust people who are trained in the field to um, do the diagnosis correctly. Not all doctors will do the diagnosis correctly. I know. And not everybody is perfect. But people who have like an intuitive understanding because they've trained so long in the field and they feel like intuition you can only gain by doing a profession for a certain amount yeah. of time, they will be more correct than maybe Google. Not always, maybe, but yeah. 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 But this is an interesting question in general. Sorry, you go on. Um, the thing is, I generally appreciate that people are more op open to learn about complex matters than... Mm -hmm in that case, concern themselves, like their own biochemistry. Does mm -hmm. it, to the degree of like several things that I see are advantageous. One of them is that they maybe can read their how certain things, when they, for example, eat or how they sleep or how they move, uh, correlates with their mood or well-being. Uh, things that you won't go every day to the doctor for, you just don't have access to specialists for all of those things because they might be minor, they might be more about life design. Uh, so you can run like small experiments, like for example, getting up an hour earlier or after getting up, go outside and get fresh air and see how those 10 minutes um, affect you over all day. Like mm -hmm. kind of, I guess this goes yeah. in the direction of biohacking. So really yeah. appreciate that. Also, yes, there is the danger of people self-diagnosing and then starting to mistrust the quote-unquote establishment and especially it becomes dangerous when people also had negative experiences or people around them had negative experiences with the medical system and mm. there are different degrees and levels of the medical system and uh, true, true, access to the true. medical system yeah, around the world true. but like for example i feel like all the countries where I have either been exposed myself to the medical system or no people that have been. I want to say in Austria, the medical system is really, really good. Yeah. It has. Yeah, we are really like, biased in this way. I, I, I understand. <laughs> we, are, we are very biased in that way. And yeah, I feel like... No, and the, the thing yeah. is, I still, like, still here, um, I had several problems, some like more on the uh, like injury side, physical side mm -hmm. right now more problems with my eyes or head pain and it's really hard it's really hard even for specialists for problems that are not occurring on a regular basis to find the answer yeah, uh, it's true. and especially here the tendency when you find online resources is very easy to self-diagnose and then go down a specific route and i have that I have that urge myself and especially in like desperate times, I have that, that urge or people around me try to push more into that direction. And it's, I feel like personally, it's okay to obtain knowledge, watch videos, listen to other experts you don't have face-to-face -face consultation with, but like kind of like get more information, but always in parallel to still doing the official way still looking for new doctors, still looking for different experts in adjacent fields or something connected to it or related to it that might help. And 
never giving up hope as long obviously there is the again like the 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 great access that we have in Austria where it's actually affordable to a large degree to do that yeah. for a very long time but uh, like never to fully give up hope and just go wild <laughs> on google searches yeah. because the rat holes in there are deep and so numerous and mm-hmm. i'm so glad that uh, we have such a great access here because like in my example i was able to just as i said like started with like pain in, around the eyes and the head and the first thing i could get was an mri of my my head and to mm-hmm. see if it went go to a neurologist and get like tests for like asymptomatic epilepsy Is everything okay now and that's like all of those things okay. are kind of like ruled out like all those big okay. bad mm-hmm. things like cancer <laughs> whatever else so uh, now it's like more the manual side where i'm trying to to look at things but imagine you don't have access to that and you start googling and all the things that pop up is oh it might be cancer or oh it might be epilepsy yeah. or oh it might be this and this and it this will not and make you your go, life better in any way no not at all so and- uh there is a lot of a lot of danger on that side when you just go this alternative and, or self-diagnosed path alone. And even in the end, like at some point it, it comes down to when there's a critical call to make and you have your online resources and you have the opinion of a doctor, if we at some point become a society where we rely heavily on computerized models or I don't know, and I don't know, getting an answer on Google or like the internet, um, will you trust then the doctor more or will you trust the internet more? And I feel like in certain areas, for example, in diagnosis of skin cancer or specific imaging, we already see that models are sometimes better than diagnosing than yeah. humans. But models are generally better in diagnosing things that are common um, and yeah. giving like, but like models are generally better in, in like diagnosing common problems. And Google answers are better in finding you the unspecific answers, like the, the, the specific answers for uncommon problems, so to say. Does it make sense? So like if you Google, you get often the most uncommon cases, more likely than if you go to a doctor. But models like computer models are normally better than at diagnosing very common things and doctors yeah. are diagnosing the small different things. Yeah. And it, it, it gets very mixed up at some point because who do you trust then in the end? Like if there's a computer model against a doctor, who will you trust at some point? If there's, I don't know, a curriculum made by a teacher or a curriculum decided by AI for you personalized, whom you're going to trust, which we're going to do. And I feel the more decisions people have to make, it can make you terribly mentally because you feel like the whole world is collapsing around you and you have to make all the decisions and nobody is there to help you. And Especially if you, for example, don't have access to a health system that helps you miss, like ruling out misdiagnosis, something like that, it can be terrible. Um, yeah. I just regarding like diagnosing yourself or like looking too much into one thing, I feel like you should try to optimize your health in certain ways so that you can prevent things from happening before you have to trade a drug to or get surgery for something. Yeah. But personally, like. I had uh, mental health stuff going on and there is a certain boundary to self-optimizing and you don't have to do sports every day and you don't have to like be harsh on yourself. And sometimes the thing we have to do is like be humans, like eat regular meals, whether they're completely healthy or unhealthy and get sunlight when we can and get out with friends when we can. But sometimes we just need to curl down with a book and it's fine too. And sometimes we just need to watch a whole series and 
that's fine too. And we shouldn't feel guilty for that at all because motivation will come back. Like it's like a whole circle, like a year. You have sometimes winters where you just don't want to do anything and you should not self-optimize. And then you have summers and then you can put out energy in your life and create things and do things and learn new things. And it's it's different and things are dynamic. And I feel especially for women sometimes with menstrual cycles and stuff like that, hormones can impact you so much sometimes and it's often also like we try to like not make it like happen and like be like okay everything is fine and every day is completely okay um, and emotions can be harmful too like but in the end communicating emotions and communicating personal states is important and self-optimizing is not always intensely like the correct answer for everything like only self-optimizing will not solve personal problems because life is hard being a human is hard sometimes and it's just it's just is that way there's like not one fix to being a human because no. we have a complex brain that makes us very cool but also very vulnerable to thinking wrong things and mispredicting things and yeah we are just not perfect and that's okay because being a human is hard sometimes yeah no i totally agree being human uh, is really hard uh, some days more, sometimes less, but yeah. there's always the kind of a burden that you carry around just for Yeah, and you being. always feel, and I feel like the faster the world grows and also the more ambitious you are in younger years, the more often you feel like you're doing everything wrong and like you are not doing enough all the time, like, like regardless of how much you're doing and how little you're sleeping and how healthy you're eating, like it's never enough sometimes. Um, sometimes it feels like there's not like you're trying so hard to find one way and the correct way and you always seem to like not find it and you always seem to like there's this one thing more to do or this one thing more to be or i don't know yeah it's it's not impossible i feel to be a human and also to be the best version of yourself um i just sometimes am not sure if 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 technology is the answer for me like i really like coding and i really like science but I also really need to go out in nature and not to think too much about any advice given online in the internet or something like that, because mm. yeah, brains can shut down by too much content as well. And too much content can be very harmful. Too much advice for people is not helpful. And I feel also that's why teenagers actually can get very stubborn when they get too much advice from adults. I feel this is like a healthy way how nature <laughs> kind of improved our systems because we get adults when we are teenagers. And maybe it's healthy to not take advice from everybody. Maybe that is why teenagers are stupid sometimes and very stubborn and don't take advice from adults because nature kind of through evolution imposed that it's nice to grow adults and like not take advice from anybody because it's healthy to grow by not taking advice all the time. I'm not sure. Maybe it is. Maybe it's completely <laughs> fine to always take advice. Maybe it is good to not take advice sometimes. I'm not sure, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love that, uh, but that that might as well be true. Yeah, uh, the guy content overload in whatever way, be it digital or be it just like yeah. people. Uh, that's a real thing. Yeah, and shutting down uh, is something you better do, or I feel like it's something I better do voluntarily, early enough than involuntarily mm -hmm. due to it. Yeah. Harsh yeah. overload. Yeah, I also feel like life is boring if you don't overload from time to time. Like it's just necessary to like yes, overload. I agree. <laughs> because it's boring otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> but 
we, we cannot, we shouldn't complain, right? We sh- shouldn't complain then that we are like, our mental health is not perfect all the time. Because yeah, it, our mental health will be bad either way. Like if we don't do things or if we do a lot of things, like both ways, it's like <laughs> not one fix. Um, so better we live with like, good ways how to counteract like destructive behavior or something like that than to be like yeah this will be one perfect fix for me or this will be one perfect version of myself i I don't think this is going to work for me at any time soon this this whole topic of perfection Mm -hmm. i that strikes a nerve Mm -hmm. because i understand the drive for perfection i understand the drive for optimization because especially when you're ambitious you want to put so many things into an hour and there are limits and you're gonna hit limits every day and there is this tendency to then just like okay input output i'm just gonna optimize the input me being this machine that you uh just have to set up properly and um maintain maintain properly and then everything will be so much better but like this kind of assumes that first of all you understand yourself very well and second of all it takes so much away from life like uh, a good friend of mine uh shout out to janos erstling uh he's very big like so he's in psychology he's a psychologist and uh we once had a a talk about like optimization or kind of like tech different influences and uh, his stance was kind of like that we try to make everything an experience and we try to optimize everything and uh, the topic we were talking at the moment was amazon go which everyone doesn't know is those supermarkets uh, that amazon has mm-hmm. in the west coast and also in the uk now where you just go in and you put into your app where like what up like what product produce you want and it optimizes the route in the store and tells you where you have to go and if they have it and otherwise it just orders it for you and you walk in and you walk out and you don't have to talk to anyone you don't have to wait and you don't have to pay in the end because it books it automatically by moving outside and i was kind of like and this will optimize eventually supermarket experiences because supermarket experience like it's not an experience it's just like a bad experience and it hasn't been optimized in i don't know what 50 years and he got really mad because we're like not everything has to be a perfectly optimized experience i want to have moments in life that are just slow or inefficient i want to have be able to have a bad day and a bad experience i want to be sad i want to be mad i want to be grumpy i want to be angry like all of those things and all the bad things that cause that should be part of my life as well. And we shouldn't just effort, like put all the effort into optimizing our surroundings and optimizing ourselves in order to maximize the good and minimize the bad. And I kind of stuck with me, like that conversation we had like three years ago, probably. And I still think of it every time you hear a big piece on like optimization or how this will revolutionize the way we do X. Because this is so true. Like, if we always just label everything that's not ideal as bad and ugh, how can we make this better, it also takes a lot away from life because yeah. mm-hmm. especially yeah. when you apply that to yourself of like every time you're sad, this is a wasted day. And every time you do something not 
how you imagine it could be done on a perfect day, in a perfect way, then you just lose so many things in the end. And uh, there's a lot to be said about personal productivity and about having goals and trying to obtain them. But there's also a lot to be said about living life and sometimes a little bit simplicity and shitty days uh, contribute yeah. to that a lot. I feel one thing that changed it for me a little bit was like optimization is often done by machines nowadays. So like when you get, I don't know, to the airport, you can check in like online and you get everything online. And I don't know if you order food, you can already order online and stuff like that. Yeah. Interestingly, when you look at like very wealthy people, they all have personal people, like like wealthy people are normally treated by people and not by machines. And it is like personal service, like human connection, like mm. getting a service from another person is very meaningful to us because we know where it comes from. We know like the other person, we can ask the question back. We're not treated as a system ourselves. We're treated as like a person by a person and not as part of an input by a system. And this somebody said this to me and I was like, yeah, because I was like, I like programming, I like computers. And people were like, yeah, Alex, would you like optimize everything? And I was like, maybe we should, maybe it's cool. We would be more efficient we would save time. But maybe we would lose a lot of things. And that's why I completely agree. Maybe like some people have already figured out that like, like paying less and like optimizing more with machines is not a nice way to live life if you can afford like more ha having people around. Um, and the other thing is like, regarding optimization of living life um i think the things in life that come unplanned are called adventures <laughs> like sometimes they are not <laughs> nice adventures <laughs> and some but sometimes they are bad adventures yeah but i feel like i, I try to see that like as an adventure and also the older i get the more i feel that like every person has a problem like people need problems like every person needs a problem um, at least for me personally, I feel like as soon as like I seem problem-free, like there will be something that hits me and I will have to deal with it. And if I don't try to just deal with the things that come after each other, then I will create like an imaginary problem for myself. Like it's, for example, like like the older people I get sometimes, um, then they will be always sick and they will always need to go to the doctor just because like there's something that people need to do. And either it can be a project that we work on or it can be a problem that kind of haunts us. And we shouldn't see sad emotions or anything like as a problem that haunts us. We'd be like, oh, nice. This is something that can be improved now, <laughs> or like a project that you can work on. Like it's a bad emotion and it can be a bad emotion. Sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's good that we have bad emotions. And also failures that can be good because then you can try to see it as an adventure. Like, yeah, this is a starting point of a new adventure. And um, it's hard to program your brain in this way. I completely get it. Like I, I'm not always the person who's like, yeah, this is shit. Now, nice, because then I can do something. <laughs> like, I'm not, I'm not completely like unemotional myself. Like, I'm the person who, like, I sometimes, like, I break down hard. But if I break down hard, like, I try to break down hard and then get it back together. Um, it does not always happen. And I have done some really bad shit because of it, like, mentally and, like, also physically to myself. Like, it's, it's not nice yeah. to, like, yeah. But let's try to see it in that way that like shit things happen. And this is, this is like what we call an adventure. And this is also what we call like growing up and like growing in life in general. And it doesn't have to be like kind of a performance or like it, you are not treated by your output, like an hour. Yes. An hour can lead to a lot of output or a little output. 
But often yeah. we should maybe focus less on input, output, and more on like outcome, because I feel like outcome is more related to quality and output is more related to quantity. And sometimes quality output, like doing one thing in a very nice way, gives you so much joy in life instead of put like doing age things um at mm. the same time and like putting all of these age things out. And um, I'm not sure, for example, like if we would split this episode in like 100 small clips, if it would be nicer than having like one coherent thing, maybe it would be um, more output. Maybe we could put more clips online. I don't know. But maybe it wouldn't be as nice. Like maybe there would be a story missing. There would be like the personality of a thing would be missing if the output is there, but the outcome isn't really. Um, yeah. That's beautifully said. And it's also the reason why I why I appreciate long form content, mm-hmm. like just talking, like yeah. picking up what you just said. Why I appreciate long form content so much because if you like all those interviews, especially on TV, right? Like how long do you really have to get to know a person when mm-hmm. they are on for two minutes or sometimes 10 minutes, 10 minutes already a really long segment with mm-hmm. one person talking. Uh, and then you have a lot of podcasts out there that do interviewish forms as well. And maybe it's 45 minutes, but it's like question, 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 answer, answer, answer. Uh, so I really appreciate like long form content. And it's also, and I know um, a lot of people won't listen to on my way uh, entire episodes because one hour, 30 minutes, 45 minutes, it, it just doesn't fit into the day or just doesn't fit to their attention cycle. I mean, you, you told me yourself, uh, yeah. you enjoy things I'm, 20 yeah. minutes and not longer. <laughs> because I'm not an audio person, but I read books yeah. for hours. I feel like everybody should just like do the things that they do for hours. Exactly. And maybe we can see it like, I mean, like we have the benefit that we listen to the whole episode right now, which is very nice. Yeah. We take like the whole time to like listen to each other and to like have an active conversation with each other. And this is beautiful. Like we don't focus on like putting in more words or anything. We just take the time to like have a beautiful conversation. And yeah. even if people don't listen to like, for example, myself, because I just am not the audio person, <laughs> but I click through like many podcast, like many of your episodes, the previous ones. And, I think it's like a nice discovery if you just click in and you listen to the beginning part or like also the middle part and then you just hear certain things and certain things click with your brain and certain things don't. Like, for example, if I listen to a very long thing, like certain still will resonate me and certain things I will just completely overhear. Also, even TED Talks, which are shorter, like I listen to them once, I pick up on something. I listened to them the yeah. second time and I was like, wait, did this person say that before at all? I didn't notice <laughs> that at all. So it's like our brain, depending on which state we are in, if we're in emotionally happy state or sad state, or if there's a project we're currently working on and we're trying to figure out a certain solution, our brain is very differently responsive to different inputs. So, and we are not a, we are not a stable release model. We are completely in training all the time. Like our parameters <laughs> are changing all the time, you know? <laughs> and that's why no. we also, yeah. I feel that's cool. That's what that's why I think discoveries happen to certain people at certain times, and mm-hmm. I sometimes feel like this is the, these people completely have deserved the discovery because then their brain was exactly at the point where it needed to be that the discovery hits this brain and not any brain else and not any place else, um, because brains are very responsive things. One hundred percent agree. I really like the the thing you just said about we are different. Like our parameters are changing all the time. Yeah, and I remember uh, it was, so I love to listen to long form podcasts mm-hmm. and one of the greatest long form podcasts is uh, the Joe Rogan experience. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, like at one point, I remember there was a was a scene when he was like, um, kind of saying that like how we change every time. Like the the person you are in this moment, you will never be that person again because every moment you just change. Like our biochemistry is different right now than it is tomorrow, and so many things influence our thoughts. If you're hungry, how much and how good you have slept how much sunlight you got, like all the biochemistry factors, but there are also like just so many other factors and just every day that happens to you, happens to you and it leaves its marks and it leaves its traces. And so you won't be the same person anymore. So everything is constantly changing. So it makes so much sense that looking at the same thing, like for example, looking at a certain problem and trying to find out the solution, you find different pieces to solving that problem at different times, even by maybe yeah. doing the exact same things or trying the yeah. exact same thing because you change all the yeah. time. You change. Even if everything else stays the same, yeah. you still change. And yeah. that's like, you might hate time for being so fast and things changing all the time, but there's also so much beauty to just being alive and experiencing yeah. this change. Completely. Completely agree. People always say we degrade as we get older. I feel like we refine ourselves all the time until we get older. Like our brains <laughs> will have the most complete data set when we die, you know? And mm. um, this is a, it's a, a sad thing to say. And also, of course, with dementia and things like that, um, we will not always hold on to memories, but we, have lived, we will have lived through all of these things at some point. And I hope we can look back uh, and like enjoy them and be like, yeah, this was really cool. This was really enjoyable. And... <laughs> uh, and th- this is the thing like our brain is responsive to different things and if we are scared all the time then our brain will not see the adventure as adventure it will see it as a scary challenge and if yeah. we are kind of in a state where we are bullied all the time in school then we will never learn things because the whole environment is scary and our brain is completely in a threatening mode or if things are overloading us and we get too much information to study for an exam we will cram these things in, but our brain will not like to hold on to these memories or like the learnings because it was a hasty and angry experience for our brain to cram this stuff in. Therefore, mm-hmm. I feel like instead of trying to like optimize my biochemistry, sometimes it has proven in the last years to be maybe a bit, a bit happier. Like trying to be happier is like one of the best steps you can try to be. Like going into a situation with a like happy mindset helps your brain to form like happy memories in the end as well and the more you go in with like this counts so much then the brain is like this is so big and then it often can be also a very negative big thing and so maybe repriming our brain with like a layer of positivity (laughs) even if it's like a, a like an artificial layer of positivity helps our brain to i feel at least hold on to more positive things instead of holding on to the negative things so if we say oh, our brains change all the time and we recognize different things depending on the state of our brain, I feel a happy brain will hold on to more happy things. And the negative brain will experience more negative memories, even if we go through the exactly same situation. And therefore, I also feel that sometimes it's very important to, to go to therapy and work on negative things. But there should be a point in life where I'll be like, yeah, I will focus on the positive things because I cannot influence everything. 
and my brain will hold on to more positive things if I try to give it a positive feeling um, by just looking at the world in a more positive way. And maybe it's very naive and maybe it's like not okay to do that. Um, I just feel happy memories are made when I'm happier myself too. Yeah. I don't, I don't think that's naive. And I think that's a very valid approach to life because I think it is different from closing your eyes uh, whenever mm -hmm. something bad happens. Yeah. Like what you just said is not ignore all the bad things and just act as if they don't exist. It exactly. is experience them and just take them in, but just don't focus on them. Just yeah. don't sit down and just think of how to minimize the negative because you just won't. There are, there's a certain degree, yes, but being human means to experience good and bad things. Mm -hmm. And luckily, there is no bad period that just constantly stays banned. There is some yeah. exchange between those two. I feel like if my brain is in a negative mind, the negative mindset can stay for a very long time. And it can yeah. be very hard to get out of a negative loop. And like I also feel like that personally, like I'm very positive at the moment, but I still feel like there is a part of my brain that is very negative and sad most of the time. And mm -hmm. this is, I feel like many people have this like kind of part of themselves, which is like skeptical of the world or like cautious of things. Mm -hmm. um, this is completely valid. Um, I don't say that we should go out and be like, yeah, nothing matters and everything is happy and we are all perfect. No, I exactly as you said, I feel putting like more weight onto training for positive things and like giving less weight to the negative stuff um, maybe helps to make my brain a little bit less worried for, I don't know, the future. Because the future is scary. Like, if being a human is scary, then the future is more scary because you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know if you will be able to cope with it. Um, and one of the things that actually interestingly categorizes how your body kind of is impacted by trauma is like your body kind of asks yourself the question, like, can I deal with this? Like, do I have the resources to deal with something? And if the body feels like you don't have the resources to deal with something, then it is very fast in a frightening mode or in a threat mode. So I feel the more we feel unsteady at the moment, everything that hits us will push us more over the cliff. And if we feel in a more steady mode, everything that hits us, we take more easily. I just don't know how to balance being in a steady mode constantly. I just feel like trying to be in a steady mode is a good place to start for all other adventures. <laughs> I don't have I, yeah. I don't have the, I don't have the recipe how to get there. I just feel from my personal experience it's like if I'm happy and if I try to like be in a happy situation or like if I bond with people and we have a community around myself that kind of supports me and we support each other, it's helpful to like not fall into any trap of kind of losing myself in too much negativity. People are really good and amazing and it's sometimes scary to talk to many people or to like get to know people and also yeah. trust people <laughs> like to trust the future with people and stuff like that um yeah. but yeah at some point it's going to be necessary to learn that and to do it yeah and it's yeah. so lovely if you have lovely people around are there things that you generally know that help you during a bad day mm -hmm. 
enough sleep. Like I'm a person who needs enough sleep. Mm. Um, and also dreaming. Like I dream quite a lot and it makes me happy actually to know that I dream because it's kind of living apart from your own life. Um, I need to cook food that is good for myself. This is like the whole biohacking point, like to having structure around that gives, it gets you through the day without thinking too much about it. Um, and then I like to go on like adventure things. Like I like hiking, I like swimming and I like reading books and getting absorbed in like other people's worlds. And it can be a romance model by my, by all means. Like I actually like reading romance <laughs> because it focuses my brain away from my negative emotions onto somebody else's problems. Um, Getting hugs by people or giving people hugs um, is yeah. also very nice. Um, yeah. Um, I also like wearing big hoodies in general. Like, this is something I also do in summer because it makes me feel very safe. <laughs> um, re- reading papers. I, I'm, yeah, doing science. Um, I think bad days uh, should be, uh, again, like an adventure. And it's like, I get up and I know, for example, today I got up later than I expected. I was like, I have a lot to do today and I'm not sure how I manage everything. And then I just did like one thing after the other. I was like, okay, I'm going to decide what I'm going to do now. And then I just did mm-hmm. one thing after the other. And like not mm-hmm. giving my brain too much space to like freak out is important. Like giving yourself some kind of structure or some kind of rules like to follow is, is your, is your fallback method. And for me, I'm also like, I know there's, there are points where I shut down completely, where I get like so much anxiety that I can't do like, like not completely shut down, but I'm very unable to focus on anything or get forward with anything that I need to do, especially when there are many tasks on hand and I don't know which to start best with. And then I actually read books. I'm like, okay, I will sit down and I will read two chapters or something. Um, or like sometimes I also watch a series and, but reading books is better for me because it kind of does not detach me completely from the world, but just leads me to another path and then can lead me back to the world more easily. Series can kind of grab you from the reality and like leave you there in a warm hole that never leads you back to your own tasks. So reading books is better for me. Um, so reading books, right? Because I love it since I've been a child and getting the right books that are not mentally hard on you when you are already in a hard day are good. Like romance novels are very nice. They're easy on your brain and they make you feel positive in the end. And also playing the guitar. I'm not the best person playing the guitar. I've taught it myself, so I'm terrible at it. <laughs> but yeah, it helps me. <laughs> and going on walks. Like walks are walks should be mandatory for most people, I feel. Because like getting out of your like you cannot get out of your own body. And sometimes you just hate your own brain or you hate your own body. But you can get out of like the environment where you feel like you hate yourself. So get, changing your environment sometimes is helpful. And then there's this weird um, thing which I like actually thought like my first boyfriend he was like when I have like too much to do and I completely freaked out and he was a really nice person and we often talked about our through stuff but what what sometimes helped me the most was like setting myself like a 10 minute timer and like just working on things for 10 minutes mm-hmm. drastically decreased the anxiety in my brain that I will never finish this task so I was like yeah mm-hmm. before you do anything else like tell me to set the 10 minute timer and it actually always worked. Like all the time when I was kind of always freaking out about like two big things, it was like set a 10 minute time and I, was, I did it. And it actually worked sometimes wonders because it it helped the person next to me to know how they can help me. And it gave myself this kind of catalyst effect to get the anxiety out of the way. I feel everybody has something that helps them to kickstart working on the thing they're worried about. I feel mm. anxiety and 
overloaded work or overload with decisions is most often correlated. For me, anxiety comes when I have a lot of things to do and don't know how to handle them. So my catalyst in this situation is like 10 minutes working on the thing that worries me the most because 10 minutes changed my brain from I don't know anything to I know at least what we are going to talk about or what we are going to write down or which code we do have to write or which exam problems we will have to solve. And this drastically reduces my brain in the thinking mode of I don't have any resources to cope with that. So 10-minute timers, doing things that are hard because in the end, it's not about short-term happiness. Life is about long-term happiness. And it gets it gets easier. It's not always the easiest thing to do. Um, I feel sometimes it's good to push yourself to do the things and sometimes it's good to give yourself a break and read a book. So sometimes it, I'm more in the, I need to detach myself from reality and I need to read a book. And sometimes it's more of, I need to push myself. I need to set the timers. I need to do the work to get over the anxiety. Um, if I try to push myself too hard on a day where I know that I will not finish anything, um, it will lead to a more negative day. And in the end, I will be like, I tried and I set my timers and I still didn't get anywhere. And this whole day was fucked. And I don't know, I will never like manage the stuff. Yeah. <laughs> then I should go for an evening walk. And then I should go to sleep. And then I should get up on the next day and be like, Alex, your life doesn't matter to most people on this planet at all. Like, regardless of what, how much you fucked up, like, in the end, the world is going to turn on. Your atoms will still be there. The molecules will still be there. The planets also will turn around. And you can learn something new every day. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's one interesting thought that I entertained, like, during the last months. Like, actually, that, yeah. It's like, what would we do in a society where you would have to kickstart your career every 10 years? So, for example, you decide like that you start working on, for example, for me, chemistry when you're 20, and then I do 10 years of intense chemistry, and with 30, I um, I need to choose another subject. And then I go to university again, and for example, I study physics, or I study music, or whatever. And then after 10 years, I have to choose again, and then I need to become a gardener. <laughs> it would be so interesting, because then nothing would have that much weight, because we always feel this pressure that everything we do now will have impact on our whole future. When actually, it has an impact, yes, but only if we do it right and if we like doing it and if we kind of find a way to do it correctly. And I don't know, maybe we should just do it for 10 years very intensely and then be like, yeah, that's it, that's done. And I will focus on 10 years, something completely differently. It would be very fun. It would be so fun. I would love to do that actually sometimes. <laughs> maybe so. <laughs> but in 10 years, if you ask me again, what I, I would be like, what are molecules? I don't know anything about molecules. Like, can you please tell me what a molecule is? So, yeah. Wow, it would be a very, very chaotic life, though. Yeah, like uh, you would live like five lives at least, like during your like because people <laughs> people often identify them over their profession. So if you have five yes, different professions, true. you would have five different lives in the end. Um, yeah, what would be a profession that you would pick if you would not have done what you're doing right now? So what would be something that's not related to like? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that's that's such a great question because I feel like I'm in a point of my life where I still haven't made the decision of what I'm going okay. to do the next five to yeah. ten years. Uh, me, it's me still neither. like kind Perfectly, of yeah. in between. Yeah, but like, I feel like, but like, I feel like you have like, you have like a general direction. If I would tell you this general direction is not an option, <laughs> like, yeah. Okay, so you need to no choose business, anything. No data science. No, anything related like more to humanities or to like I don't know arts. You need to choose, like. You need to inscribe in university mm. again. What would you do? 
So there are a few, there are a few turning points, uh, that I see. So at some point, I almost ended up in natural sciences. Okay. Uh, so I could. This is just too close uh, to data science. This, this is too close okay. to data science. Then <laughs> how about, how about two examples related to political science and ending up in politics? Yeah. Okay. I think, I think more creatively. Like if you would have to do it like a vocational thing, like a lehre of German. Ah, yeah. yeah. Um, stonemason. Huh? <laughs> now I think in the right direction. I, I, I really like this thing because I don't know. I, I feel I feel we often identify ourselves in like a very narrow way. We often see the world mm. through our like I personally see the world through a science lens, so, so to say. Mm-hmm. And yeah, of course, like choosing between chemistry, like I could study physics and stuff like that. Yeah, I'm studying physics course on the side, so yeah, this this is not <laughs> thinking in another direction, you know. So, <laughs> so in the same kind of bucket, yeah. Yeah, um, it. Our world is so much more beautiful, and I think this is a cool thing that we can do in every in any shitty day, like trying to pick up a small skill, like learning how to cook one meal, like that you have never tried before, or like yeah. going on like a walk in a city place that you have never seen before, because it gets you out of your your narrowly defined personality, and probably that's why it helps me to read books because it not gives me per se a skill, but it gives me another mm. personality for some point, like. At some point, I'm the person in the book. I, I live in a different world. Um, maybe people like to dance, and then they can learn a new dance, or they can try to paint, or they can try to learn any new language for like one day. I feel everything when we feel that we move forward helps us to overcome bad days because humans we are creatures of doing new things and increasing yeah. what we know. This makes us happy. Like knowing more, getting better, and feeling like we're moving forward in life. This is what makes us feel happy and feeling stuck or like always turning around the same problem um, makes us feel very unhappy and very anxious about the future. Yeah, I agree. Uh, as long as we move uh, in some like intended direction, like doesn't matter if it's fast or slow, mm-hmm. it feels like progress and prof- progress feels like being alive. Yeah. I feel slow progress can be also very hard. Like I'm not always like I'm not the, always the patience. most patient. Yeah, patient. yeah. <laughs> there's this there's this guy uh, Gary V. Uh, he's this mm-hmm. business person marketer, yeah. uh, but he now has this. He he always played with certain motives themes, but now he kind of created this cartoon series of his principles and values. Okay. It's like the, um, damn it family no doesn't matter what it's called but there is this one thing it's called patient panda okay this sounds and cool. it's this it's really great you should look it up there's a little comic about it and it's kind of just like trying his way to trying to promote that people should be more patient that people should have a goal and they should work ferociously at getting to this goal without harming themselves but like mm-hmm. still be at it yeah but be patient like, yeah things will yeah. come as long as you stay on them every yeah. day. And if there's a day in between where you don't get to make any progress, or maybe even a week, or maybe even longer than that, because life just happens, it's okay. But stay eyes on the prize. And I think we're back to the it. thing that you said before with changing the parameters in your like, brain, because hmm. if, even if you feel like you don't move forward after one night of sleep, like 
your brain will have picked something up. Like after trying yes. something, the parameters will have changed. And then the next time, maybe you have the one parameter now, then it makes sense again. Yeah, that's maybe a thing that I find interesting about nine to five jobs. Um, when they are related to like not only repeating an action, but actually working yeah. towards something. Maybe it's healthy to like get to the office at a certain point and got, get, get out of the office at a certain point and come in the next day with like another set of parameters. Um, instead of like working yourself to death, which we sometimes see happening in academia where people like from beginning when they get up until like they go to bed, they're just working one is one problem and they never get the brains, the option to change parameters from a new perspective. Like by mm. talking to like random people, like not related to their field or something. Because yeah. we feel like we need to grind more and need to like work more to be more productive. But um, I just like posted something like on Instagram um, a few days ago. It's like, um, yeah, unhappy people sitting indoors were the most productive and happy people ever. I don't think anybody ever said this, you know, like because it's true. Like it is true. Nobody ever said that like people sitting indoors have done the most beautiful things for this world. And I also don't feel it is true, but we still feel sometimes that way that we have to sit here at our laptops and do this work and study for this test because only then we will succeed. But maybe it's again what we said in the beginning that things seem controversial when they in the end aren't. Maybe getting outdoors for some hours of your day is good. And maybe like not learning stuff two hours before going to bed can be good for some people. Um, so it's, it's not always either or you cannot only study and not fail exams or you can go out and you can see nature maybe you can go out in nature yeah. and also not fail your exams and yeah. i think this is what people don't realize so much that it's not always this either or thing and i have gotten the question and i don't feel i'm the best person to answer that but some people seem like they manage so many things at the same time like they do so many different things at the same time and i feel like it is easier to do, like, to have many things running smoothly than to have only one thing running smoothly. And when one thing fails there, you are completely fucked because you don't have any back system to keep you on any track. So I feel it's easier to have certain things set up and all of these things kind of help themselves to stuck to stick together than only having one thing set up and only sticking to one thing. Um, yeah. But maybe that's just me. I don't know. No, I I think there is a lot of truth to that. Maybe like one last thing before we before yeah. we wrap the episode up. Uh, I recently started this book. It's called Originals. It's like mm -hmm. how people come up with original ideas and all like a lot of entrepreneurship. I've but heard about also it. I haven't it. read it. Okay. I can. Cool. So I haven't finished it yet. Uh, mm -hmm. But I Let can recommend it. Let me know okay. how it goes. Oh, well. yeah. There's one thing that um, what you just talked about made me think of and that is he looked at there's like a table of Nobel laureates mm -hmm. and the correlation kind of like the count of what those Nobel laureates did that was completely unrelated to the field mm -hmm. and like kind of grouping them yeah. so how many of them played an instrument mm -hmm. and not just like once in a yeah. while, but like, oh, kind of like yeah. continuously. How many of them painted? How many of mm -hmm. them uh, joined a band? Like also like yeah. music-wise, how many of them like acted on the side? Like yeah. as a theater 
or maybe even like indie movies. And it's crazy because I think the group of actors actually had like per person, like the highest number of, uh, like, so like, I think it was like highly accomplished scientists that were, they also knew the, the different activities versus kind of like a general group of Nobel laureates or like people that didn't uh, have any side projects or side hobbies and then kind of look at this table. I have to look it up. Maybe I find it online and I'm going to include it into the description. But it was kind of like mind-blowing seeing, especially that acting got like this big group of people. Like I think it was maybe just like, like, especially when you think like in STEM, right? Or like in in math or physics, like acting. Uh, But but isn't it interesting? Changes because, how you think, how you perceive yeah. the world. It is like you as actor, you are a completely different person while you're acting, and yeah. then you get back to your own life, and maybe your brain has changed a lot of parameters because you've been a different person. Maybe I don't know. It's 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 fascinating. I haven't. I need to read this book probably. Um, I feel <laughs> I feel it's so cool that maybe yeah we shouldn't. I feel the the the, the wrong thing that happens is that people see like people are doing a lot of things therefore i need to do a lot of things as well this is the mm-hmm. wrong way to go about it i don't think we should work ourselves to death doing multiple things to achieve one thing if you want to achieve one thing we should try to achieve this one thing but yeah. if multiple things come along our way i don't think they necessarily have to exclude them uh, like exclude each other um, so yeah. I think we should start with one thing and grow from there. And if more things come, we should say no to things. But we can also have things going in parallel. This shouldn't exclude itself. And like also there is work-life balance. It is possible. Like <laughs> we don't only have to work and we don't only have to live. Um, nice balance between both of those things. Taking work seriously is makes me happy at least. But also taking life seriously makes me also happy. <laughs> so both <laughs> things are good. Yeah. I totally agree. Alex, thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you for having I me. It was a very lovely episode. Loved our conversation. Yeah. This was amazing. I feel so energized and uh, already looking forward uh, to whenever I get to see you again or do another episode with you. Thank, thank you so you. much. Have a nice evening. Bye. <laughs> thank you. Goodbye, everybody.